0: Good morning once again and happy Father's Day. You know, it was, I don't know about you, but it was funny to me that it worked out this way on the schedule that I would be preaching on Father's Day since I'm one of the pastors here on staff who is not a father. Um, and as I mentioned that to my, my wife, she, she encouraged me and she said, Well, you may not be a father, but at least you're a, a fur father, as in I'm a father to our pet you see, we have a, a pet rabbit. His name is Bo. And ever since she got him, my wife has considered herself a fur mom. And uh, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't sure about that, that prospect, you know. And, and when I married her, he became my fur child as well, I suppose. And I, I, I think she's on to something. So before you go correcting me, you fathers out there, and, and telling me how wrong I am, allow me to point out some similarities. <laughs> Are y'all going to be okay? <laughs> Bear with me. How many of you fathers out there assume it's probably your responsibility to feed your child, to make sure they have plenty of water in their diet? I assume you would all think that. I, too, make sure every night before bed, when I walk by his cage, that I put some hay in there, and I make sure there's, his water bottle is nice and full, so we both feed our children. <laughs> Hang in there, Jamie. Because there's more similarities, guys, I promise. Because some of you may read to your children or have taught your child to read. And I have a photo for you up here where I taught my child how to read. <laughs> so there's our bunny, Bo, and I'm, he's very invested in that book, right? So I've taught him how to read uh, just like you. And, and I'll give you one more similarity, in fact, because how many of your children have thrown temper tantrums, fits, maybe in the middle of the night even, disrupting your sleep? Yeah, so just the other night, I got up in the middle of the night because I just wanted a glass of water. Now, I've got to walk to our kitchen in order to get that glass of water, and I've got to walk right past Bo's cage. Now, in so doing, right... I'm, I'm being pretty stealthy. I don't want to wake up my wife, right, because I've, I've learned in six months of marriage it's not a good thing to wake your wife up in the middle of the night. So I'm being nice and quiet. Now, rabbits, though, are very fearful creatures. You, you really can't play with a rabbit like you can a dog, right, because you don't want to scare the rabbit. It'll have a heart attack and die. So you have to be careful with the rabbit. I'm, I'm serious. These are rabbits. I had to learn all of this when I got married. Well, this rabbit realizes at 3 in the morning that suddenly there's somebody in the room with him, and so he freaks out, and he starts running all around his cage, and he's flinging poop pellets everywhere all over the living room, right? And, and my stealth is broken. I hear from the bedroom. My wife is awake, and she's like, what's going on? You know, I'm like, I'm sorry, it's just the rabbit, right? So, so both of our, our children often throw temper tantrums. Now, I'll give you that. There are some differences here, right? Good parents such as yourselves know you cannot keep your child in a cage. <laughs> no matter how much you want to, you can't do it. I, however, I promise you, I'm a good parent for keeping my, my rabbit in a cage, right? Because if he wasn't, he would go all over the apartment, he would chew on some wires, hurt himself, cost me my rental deposit, and we're not having any of that, right? So I, I'm a good parent for keeping him in the cage. Now, of course, probably the largest difference here, uh, I'll give you this, is our communication skills, I at times try to talk to my rabbit, right? I mean, have you ever tried to talk to your pets, right? I, I do that too. I say, "Hey, Bo, how you doing, Bo?" And Bo's just chewing hay, staring at the wall, right? He doesn't care at all. And, and then sometimes I'll walk by his cage, especially if I haven't fed him yet that night, and he'll like hop up on the cage and put his put his paws up on the cage because he wants to be fed. So he's trying to communicate with me, but that's that's really where our communication stops, right? Because your children will eventually utter words and then later fragmented sentences, and eventually you're having full-length conversations, even arguments with your children, right? But my rabbit and I will never have that, right? We'll never be able to communicate back and forth that way. It'll forever just be a a one-way communication, right? And as we look at today's passage, we're going to see something that's not that way, right? The Son of God Gets in the habit of communicating with his father, and we actually see that it's a it's a back and forth, right? And so we're going to be in John chapter seventeen today, where we we see Jesus enter kind of his longest prayer, right? As we've been going through this series in the book of John, you know, we, we've seen recently, right, that Jesus has been teaching. He's he's gone from the upper room. They've had the Lord's supper, and then he's he's. As he's been walking for several chapters now, he's been teaching his disciples. They're passing a vineyard, and he's teaching them through that. And now he's going to stop, and he's going to pray. Now, this is all before he gets to the garden. It's before his arrest, his crucifixion. It's all coming. And, and it's with that future in mind that Jesus begins to, to pray this prayer, right? Now, keep in mind, as we, as we dive into this passage, I want you to keep in mind that When Jesus prays in front of people especially, right, Jesus is a teacher, right? They call him rabbi, teacher, because he's always teaching. So if Jesus prays in front of his disciples, it's usually because he wants his disciples to learn something from that prayer. And so so that's what we see him do here. We're going to find some things that he's really trying to teach us because he prays in front of us, right? So as we look at the start of this long prayer, I want you to look at the first five verses with me today. We're just, just those first, first five verses. So, read that with me here. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. And I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So as you look at that passage, you may have noticed the word glorify was used several times. It's used about five times in some variation, glory or glorify, right? So it it really becomes... Jesus' main request here in in these first five verses, he's really asking the Father about about this glorification, right? And you may remember from a couple of months ago, or you don't because it was a couple of months ago, Dennis preached on a very similar passage, right, where Jesus says almost verbatim very similar things, right? And he talks about glorification there. Now, Dennis wanted you to understand something about the word glory, namely that glory can be positive or negative. It doesn't have to be a good thing, right? Because he talked about the glory of the cross, right? Which is a painful thing for Jesus, right? But there was there was glory in that, and so it can be positive or negative. For instance, the sun—that was the example he used. That's the example I'll use. Glory of the sun—maybe it's its heat or its light, right? Which can be a good thing, but in the middle of July next month, when I'm at youth camp at rec time, it will not be a pleasant thing for me, right? So the glory of the sun is not always a positive thing, and so. Dennis used that to get us to understand the glory of the cross may not be a positive thing, but there's still glory there, right So if you're hanging with me on that word glory, let me talk about glorify, right Because that's the word we see. It's, it's glorify. So it's kind of like demonstrating or even even making known or, or you could use the word magnify. right we're, we're maximizing right this main quality. right So Jesus he understands he's going to the cross, right? That's, that's part of the plan all along. He knows where he's going, and he, and he wants fa- the Father to glorify him there. He wants him to make him known there. If you'll continue to hang with me on that, that phrase, make him known, that, that definition, i have an example I think might help. Nowadays, we use all forms of social media to make things known, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Right? And, and that's how we make our, our opinion known, the things we like known. For instance, the other day I saw, I, just, I almost never look at Facebook. My, my wife demanded that I see it because she wanted me to read some of the comments on this one. But a lady posted her opinion about a movie that's out in theaters right now. And it was shared, that opinion was shared 19,000 times. I thought, wow. Well, she told me yesterday it's actually been shared 147,000 times now, which is amazing to me, right? So 147,000 people at least those are just the ones that shared it but at least that many people now know this lady's opinion on this movie whether they should care to know about this lady's opinion on the movie is another thing but but that many people so she made her opinion that widely known right i don't use facebook all that much right i don't usually post on it but it's really mostly because i don't have to right my mother usually does that for me <laughs> if you yeah in fact I'm willing to bet she's probably already posted this morning, sharing this live stream, saying something like, I'm so proud of my son. He's preaching today. Hashtag blessed, right? Like I bet it's out there. (laughs) You can check that for me later after the service, but I'm, I'm willing to bet. Right. So in that way though, she's, she's making me known, right? She's making it known that, that her son is preaching today. Right. And we do that all the time with our social media. We, we, We will share a variety of things. Maybe it's just funny pictures or jokes, but we'll kind of glorify these things or these people by how much we share them, how much we make them known, right? And so with that same kind of idea in mind, Jesus is here asking the Father, you know, I'm about to go to the cross. Would you glorify me? Would you make me widely known? I'm about to to die for everyone so that they could be saved. Would you make that as widely known as possible, right? And since it's Been two thousand years since this prayer happened, and we're still talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'd say it was an answered prayer, right? So we know that this becomes an answered prayer, and so ultimately Jesus is here glorified by the cross. That's what he's asking the Father for. And it's our our first main point: is that Jesus is ultimately glorified by the cross. Now let me point something else out about this prayer, right? And in in this part of the prayer, just the first five verses, in fact. You can go look at the commentaries and, and the way that various scholars will divide up this chapter. They almost always give you these five verses as their own section. In fact, you can check your Bible. Mine has it marked off, Jesus prays for himself, first five verses. That's the, the title of the section, right? And so they always talk about Jesus praying for himself and these first five verses. And so we, we can learn something from prayer then based off Jesus' example here that we can pray for ourselves, right? How many of you are encouraged by that? Because I pray for myself all the time. Lord, help me deliver this sermon today, right? There's, there's always a, a prayer for yourself, but I've, I've felt bad about that at times. And, and this passage makes me feel like I, I can get off the hook, right? It's not always selfish to pray for yourself, right? It just kind of depends on how the prayer goes, right? Because we should remember that Jesus is asking the Father here in this prayer to, to glorify him via cross, Right? So our, our prayers don't always have to be selfish, but they can still be about us. God, help me glorify you, right? That's what Jesus is praying, help me glorify you. Because ultimately, when Jesus goes to the cross, he'll be glorifying the Father in that way as well. So, so he's praying to the Father, you know, help me make this, this gospel known. In fact, we, we see this kind of a prayer from Paul as well. If you'll go and look at Ephesians 6 later, you'll see that Paul prays and he says, or he, he's, rather, he's writing, right? And he's telling the the Ephesians, hey, pray for me, by the way, because I want to be able to make the gospel known fearlessly, right? So he's praying for himself. He's asking, in fact, for prayers for himself, but it's, it's not a selfish prayer. It's a, you know, help me glorify Christ. Help me glorify the Father. So, too, should we and can we be having those kinds of prayers? Father, would you help me glorify you today? Father, will you give me those opportunities today, Right? Help me to take those opportunities today. Now, in this prayer, Jesus also like, stops for a second to explain what he means by salvation. Again, this is very like Jesus. Jesus loves to teach, and he teaches all throughout his ministry. And, and he stops like in the middle of this, these five verses in verse 3, and it's almost like it's a parenthesis. And he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Right, And, he, of course, he's... Referring to himself there as Jesus the Christ, as in Jesus the Messiah, right? It's, it's kind of like he's, he's pausing a moment as he's praying to God to let all the disciples around him know, by the way, I am that Messiah person, right? Like the guy you've been waiting for, that Savior, I'm, I'm him. So he's always teaching, right? Jesus is always teaching. Now, now, allow me to, to pause to point out two things, though, about this verse. When, when he talks about eternal life, that they can know you and then they can know me, right? Because that, that's where he says salvation is, right? That's, that's where eternal life is at, is, is right here, when he takes this moment to stop. So I'll pause to point out two things here. The first one is just a reminder, right? Because he talked about this in John chapter 14. The reminder is that you cannot know Jesus nor God without the other, you have to know them both, right? He, he says in John 14, in fact, when he's talking with this, his disciples that, that Jesus speaks this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's this popular idea that's kind of come in and out of culture at times where, where like, Jesus is one pathway on the mountain to God, and you can take other pathways. But Jesus says in John 14, baloney, that's not the way that works, right? Jesus is making sure you understand that there's only knowledge of God through him. So you have to know who Christ is if you're going to know who God is. second thing on that prayer that I want to point out is this knowing God, right? Eternal life sounds pretty easy right here, that that they may know you, the only true God, and know me, right? So if you know both Christ and God, you're saved, right? Now, common misconception that happens here is that you can just know of God. Like this intellectual knowledge, like, yes, I've heard of God. I've, I've read uh, enough of the Bible to know that Jesus died for our sins or something like that, right? And, and then he rose again. Boom. Saved. I'm a Christian. But that's just kind of an intellectual knowledge. That, that's a knowing about God. That's knowing the story, right? But that's not knowing the author. That's not actually knowing that. that per- so, for instance, I may know of Chuck Norris, right? I have heard of him before, right? Uh, but I've never like met the guy, right? I've never shaken my hand. Hi, my name's Nathan. He's never shaken my hand. Hi, my name's Chuck, right? Never happened. But I know about him. I know some movies he's in. I, I know a, a TV show he's in. My dad watched him all the time growing up. So I'm well aware of who he is, right? I even know some Chuck Norris jokes, like that, like that one where he was bitten by a king cobra snake and after five days of agonizing pain, the snake died, right? You've heard that one? So, so I know some things about Chuck Norris, but I've never met him. I don't know him personally. I don't have that intimate knowledge, right? Now, of course, I do know my wife personally, right? Because I'm supposed to, right? Like, like, I know her way better than you. And again, because I'm supposed to. I signed up for that job, right? I stood on this stage, in fact, in front of many of you people, and I said that I would take that job, right? That I would know her personally, right? That I would, I would always talk to her. And so I committed to a relationship where I would forever know the personal details of someone's life. It's my responsibility to know those details. So, too, did I at one point in time make that conscious decision to know Christ personally? Right? That, that I would enter into a committed relationship where I was always trying to know Christ more personally, know Him better, and there, thereby I know God. Again, I in fact got up in front of a baptistry and let everyone know I'm committed to this relationship. I'm committed to this knowledge. So this isn't just an intellectual knowledge, it's not a knowing about God, it's a knowing God, it's a knowing Him personally, right? That is the, the salvation we're talking about here. You have to know personally who Jesus Christ is and have that relationship with them to know who God is and to to have that eternal life. Now, if you'll continue on with me, we'll look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Okay, so our next main point here is, is straight out of this verse. It's pretty simple. Jesus glorified the Father while on earth. But I wanted to know more, so as I dive into this passage, I basically discover two different ways that I think Jesus is referencing, at least two different ways. There may be more, but at least two ways Jesus glorified the Father while on earth. And the, the first one is simply making the truth about God widely known. Now again, we've talked about that, making known, right? Jesus was asking the Father to make him widely known. So two, right, he, Jesus saying, hey, for three years now in my ministry, I've been making you as widely known as possible, right? I've been telling everyone about you. Furthermore, Jesus has been telling the truth about God, widely known. You have to understand in this time period, the Jewish leaders who he's, who he's you know, talking, he's always talking to the Israelite people, they have this warped perception of God right? And Jesus, when you have a warped perception of God, Jesus is always there to come in and correct you. If you ever think you know something about God, go read some scripture, check out what Jesus says, and you'll be surprised to find that he can humble you even today with, oh, you were wrong about the way that God works, right? So we always have to check what we think about God with what Jesus says, because that was what he did for three years. He was out trying to teach people the difference, now, we've been talking about this kind of a concept uh, lately in, in our midweek services on Wednesday nights with our youth. We've been going through this series called Storytime, where we've been talking about the parables of Jesus. And for the last month or so, we've been in this series, and we've really only been in the book of Matthew so far, right? There's a lot of parables out there, but we've, we've looked at a lot of the ones from Matthew. And Matthew is the guy, if you read his gospel, he is the, the author who is always wanting to tell you all about the kingdom, Right? You find it in other places, but Matthew, by golly, he's making sure he includes anything Jesus said about the kingdom of God. Right? And so as we learn about this kingdom of God, right, we're learning back back there and, and on Wednesday nights that the kingdom of God works differently, right? Works differently than the regular old world. You may have legal codes, you may have what Jesus said, right? A different kind of creed to live by. Now, legal codes are fairly simple, right? So you have thou shall not murder. We still have that one, right? We all know that it's wrong to murder someone. However, Jesus turns around and he says, but you can't hate them either. You can't be really, really angry with them. And you're like, what? You know, some some of the people are thinking, the only reason I'm not murdering that person is because I'm allowed to hate that person, right? But he's coming in and he's correcting it. You can't hate them at all, right? So Jesus is constantly giving us this different code to live by, these different rules, Right? And that's, that's what we've been learning about here. And so it's kind of what we're, we're finding here. When Jesus talks about how I've glorified you on the earth by making you widely known, it, he's talking about the truth. He's been tell, telling people all about the kingdom of God and its king, right, who God really is. And in so doing, he's correcting a lot of misconceptions. And in so doing, Jesus glorifies the Father by making him known. Now, there, there is another way, of course, that I think Jesus glorified the Father while he was still here on the earth, right? And he, I think he did this simply by being obedient. If you read this verse again, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Well, it was his assignment. It was his calling, right? It was, it was the plan all along is that you're supposed to go down, teach them about me, and then die on a cross, right? So he's saying, I've done that. I've been obedient, To give you an example, and and since I've already talked about my mother today, I suppose I could talk about my father as well. It is Father's Day after all, and uh, he's getting nervous over there. (laughs) One of the things I learned growing up, right, because, again, I'm not a parent. However, I was a child, so there's some things I figure out, right? There's some things that my dad made sure I figured out, right? And so one of those is that, generally speaking, you parents out there appreciate it when your children are obedient to you right? Am I right? No amens to that one yet? What, generally speaking, parents appreciate when you're obedient, when you're well-behaved, right? And I, I learned this lesson from my dad because if I was like acting up or misbehaving, if I was disobedient to him, especially in a public place, right, he would lovingly take me by the arm and he'd walk me out to the car and then he'd spank me, right? <laughs> and if I screamed or cried along the way, right, it was only going to be worse. Why? Because I'm embarrassing him now, right? Because... The, That's what we do. Our our children often reflect upon the parents. We've often heard that phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Whether you like that or not, that's often how it works. We often associate children with their parents, so, if we would go to the store, right, because I learned the inverse of this as well. I wasn't like a, like a really dumb kid. Like, I picked up on some things, right? So, I understood that, okay, if I'm misbehaving, well, I can regularly behave, and that'll have a different reaction from my dad. So, let's say we go to Target, right? Let's say I'm grocery shopping with my dad, and we're, we're walking down the aisles, and I knew okay, I'm going to be really good today. I'm going to be well-behaved. I'm going to be obedient. I'm I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to yell across the store, right? My dad says, go get the peanut butter. I'm going to go, and here's the peanut butter, Father, right? I'm going to be so good, right? In fact, one of the things that would often happen when I'd go to the store with my dad, constantly, it may have happened to you as well, you might run into someone you used to know or someone you currently know, right? That happened with my dad all the time, and I'm always with him when this happens, right? Now, I knew this is the perfect Perfect moment. All I gotta do is be good, be really well behaved. Well, he talks to this, this stranger that that maybe knows me because I was a kid at the time, but I, I don't care. I don't know who they are, right? But but he's gonna talk with him about something boring, maybe economics or who graduated or who got married, right? And I'm just gonna sit here very politely and just listen, right? And just be quiet. Don't be disobedient, just be obedient, right? And the other person, they're gonna look at me, right? Because This is probably a long conversation, right? You know my dad out there, some of you. This is a long time that I'm waiting here, right? So I'm gonna be very good, I'm just gonna wait it out. I'm just gonna wait it out and be quiet. The other person, they're gonna be looking at me thinking, what a well-behaved child. Man, Stephen must be a great dad. I bet his child always acts this way, right? got him, right? That's, that's the goal. So I'm going to be well, nice and behaved, and eventually the conversation will end. They'll part ways. It's been about an hour at this point, and I've been nice and well behaved and nice and obedient, right? So obedient, in fact, that my dad's going to be proud of me. He's going to be, Nathan, thank you so much for behaving that way, right? Thank you so much. And he might be so proud that he's willing to take me to the toy aisle to grab me a trophy for my victory that day, right? So <laughs> So I knew that if I acted well, if I was obedient to him, I'd have this positive reaction. He'd be proud of me because I was reflecting well on him, right? We, we all know that as, as children, we, we end up reflecting on our parents, whether we like it or not, right? So if we understand that, then we understand that the Father here is being glorified by Jesus being obedient. That's all he's doing. He's just being obedient. In that, and in that way, by Jesus being obedient, he, he glorifies The Father, he he makes him known, he magnifies his name. Now, the last big point I want to show you here in this text comes out of verse 5. It says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, of course, it's interesting to me here that Jesus references being here before the world existed, right? And it's especially interesting to me because it's in the book of John. That's what John does, right? Anytime Jesus, just like I said how Matthew references the kingdom of God a lot, well, if Jesus talks about being around before the world began, John, the author, loves that. He's going to make sure that that gets written in his gospel. He couldn't wait to tell everybody that in his gospel. He just goes out and says it in chapter 1, right? And the word became flesh. He's letting you know Jesus was here before creation, right? John's really excited about that. And so he, he, when Jesus says this here, John makes sure to note it, Right? I guess Jesus was here before the world existed. And he used the word glorify here, right? So he's, he's beginning to associate glory with God's very presence. He's saying, hey, look, Father, I was, I was with you in your glory, right? I was glorified there with you in your very presence, right? And then I was obedient, right? I lived three years telling about, telling these people who you really were, right? Trying to get them to understand. I'm building these relationships. I'm, I'm having these personal relationships with these people who are beginning to know you, right? They're beginning to change their lifestyles for you because they realize who you really are, right? And, and so he's, being, he's glorifying the Father through all of that, right? And then now here he's getting ready to go to the cross. He says, God, glorify me now as I go to the cross so that everyone can know that I'm dying for them, that I'm willing to take their sins. Let everyone know. And then, Father, let me come be in your presence again. All right, let me be together again with you and be glorified with you in your presence. So Jesus is glorified in God's presence. Now, of course, we can be glorified in God's presence too, but that's gonna have to wait until the good Lord takes us home, right? Because right now, if again, you're, you're following me that this prayer that Jesus is making is an example for us, right? Then we're in that part of the prayer where we're still asking the Father to help us glorify him help us on our in our ministries here on earth to make you known and the truth about you widely known right help us to make as widely known as possible that jesus died for us right and that jesus was resurrected for us and that he saves us right they're trying to get everyone to know right that that's what we're doing we're trying to get everyone to know that there's this god that loves them and they can have a personal relationship with them a personal knowledge that will lead us To eternal life. That's where our salvation comes from. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.